Yeah, how are you guys? Um, you can tell my voice is off, right? Hello, hello, hello. Uh, <laughs> I'm Mark and I am the CEO of Blockhead. And this is Tim, Managing Editor of Blockhead. So how's Chinese New Year for you guys? Pretty chill. Yeah, can't complain. Yeah, I stayed in for most of it with a cough. Do you guys realize that, yeah, is, is it weird? Like, I, I find that my memories of Chinese New Year is that it's very hot every time. And this is one of the rare Chinese New Years where it's just been raining every day. I, c- I can't remember the last time it rained during Chinese New Year. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's like, it's like how my memory of London is just cold. Although I went in summer. <laughs> I was just telling my friend, yeah, I think Something I went in winter. And I was like, no, no, we went in summer. I was like, oh, really? It's just so cold. <laughs> right? So I, I, I get I get what you're saying, but it is very cold. So um, great. Lah. Shout out to the cold weekends that all of you have. But the market is very hot, right? So I think. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I thought, you know, that's finally when uh, Bitcoin will no, take a breather. But, no, uh, no, I guess, no, 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 yeah. no. Bitcoin is very hot today, right? So that uh, very conveniently slides us into the first story. <laughs> of today. <laughs> yeah, not rehearsed, not, not rehearsed. rehearsed. It's just not so rehearsed. smooth that we didn't stage this. I love it, okay? So the first story of the day is that Bitcoin hits US 23,000. Woohoo! Right? So um, it has since rise about 40% year to date, right? Reaching what? It's about a five-month high, right? In other words, Stanchart is wrong, lah, right? <laughs> Wait, Stanchart was the one that was hypothesizing it would go down further, right? I think that was their price target, if I'm not wrong. I mean, I, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, don't say too much. Later, they cancel my sponsorship. Huh? But anyway, anyway, <laughs> so it is a, uh, it is hard to do this kind of prediction. But the idea here is that yeah, Bitcoin has broken into the twenty three thousand range and yeah, has went through quite an interesting cycle over this past past few weeks. Pretty much, it's just a few weeks. Right? I remember a few months ago we we're just like, oh, what's happening, right? And, and these few weeks, uh, things have kind of kind of move up, right? And all sorts of reasons that people will hypothesize because of GDP, la, Feds, you know, uh, more and more dovish with the, the interest rates hike, la, and all those kind of things. So there's all sorts of reasons. I personally don't dare to stand on all these kind of reasons because um, a lot of times they're, they're correlation. La. I'm not sure if they're causation. But yeah, anybody has any thoughts around this? It's a situation. Yeah. Well, I would like to kind of, um, you know, as a starting point, remind everybody about in the not so distant past where we were once looking at Bitcoin as a hedge and inflation hedge you know and as digital gold but that was that but that right that, so like are we are we past was, that already are we yeah. past that idea I okay. think that we are past that. Okay. I think we are past that idea. But like, you know, it, this was just, I would say, yeah, I mean, like, you know, like about a year, a year and a half ago, we were still yeah, talking yeah. about this. Yeah. Then 2022 just kind of uh, threw that narrative <laughs> out the window. Because you started saying correlation equals one. <laughs> no, but the talk about, you know, whether it's a, it's a hedge against market risk and all that, I think that's still really? relevant. I think as market participants, which means like the big financial market participants enter the game, it, it's going to be very hard for it to be not correlated with the financial markets. Eh? And my team, I think about a year plus ago, we already talked about this, right? We observe very serious correlation between the NASDAQ and, and like Bitcoin prices, right? So there's this very serious correlation there. I don't know if there is an inflation hedge or, you know, is it like really like a, like a goal that runs counter? I, I, I find it hard to take that position. I think that, you know, in my opinion, it's got nothing to really do with like, you know, how the, the asset actually functions because if you think about, you know, like the kind of qualities it has, right? You know, so it's limited supply, it's scarce. I mean, with the halving coming up next year. So there is going to be a limited amount of like gold in circulation. So I think this, this is one area where this whole thesis of like, you know, like it being an inflation hedge and digital gold is kind of built on, but it won't be an inflation hedge until it actually becomes one. You know, you know what I'm saying? 
uh, in a sense that what I think that the catalyst, you know, for that to happen is that we're looking at a complete failure of the financial markets or like a serious kind of like catastrophe, you know, mm-hmm. like a war, mm-hmm. right? And then, and then that's when you would see an asset like this, you know, behaving the way that, you know, we've, we've kind of made it out to be. But when things are kind of like, you know, working normally and, you know, like the financial markets and the financial institutions are still solvent and, you know, they are, they're kind of behaving like it should. Um, this is where we're going to see like correlations mm-hmm. still. Yeah, fair. But, but I think it's interesting for our listeners to note that over the many, many crashes, there's just been increasing amount of Bitcoin wallets, more and more Ethereum wallets. Yeah, essentially more and more and more despite there's a lot of crash right so in other words underlying adoption is just expanding right and it's it's just so interesting yeah, and, and mark i mean you also raised an important point like, that the reason why it was you know uh, or some still see it as a wake hedge up like, don't inflation don't, don't. is because it's, <laughs> it's because its supply is limited la. and you, yeah, you mentioned yeah. the but don't la, don't in 2024 don't okay guys yeah. just don't don't subscribe yeah. to this kind of narrative what inflation hedge la, all that I was like I really don't know if you can draw this kind of because it doesn't have historical like sufficient historical records to substantiate its position as that tool you know but the the underlying function it has its own underlying function but to call it a kind of like a hedge against inflation or, or hedge against or inverse tool against the market collapse right is it, something that I'm like mm, I could not very sure and I, I yeah if I have to, I find how to stand la, and I want to just make everybody wake up la. <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree, Reggie. I, I think my earlier point was that like, you know, it, it is not, I mean, like yeah, we, we shouldn't yeah. see it as an inflation mm. hedge now, but that doesn't mean that it, it can't yeah, become yeah, yeah. that, you know, like down the road. But it, it's also not a practical situation to hope for because, you know, that could never happen. Yeah, no, but I, but I, you know, but I actually do agree with that doomsday scenario. If that happens, you know, given a decentralized kind of like a function, right, where, where essentially your compute power is all over the world, right? If one part got bombed, the whole thing can still function if there's no corroborated like tech on it, right? So, um, I actually understand and I agree with that doomsday scenario right? but yeah but you see even in a doomsday mm. scenario right if you have physical gold right you can hide it under that your bed that is fair point too. you can't do that with that like Bitcoin so that is that is still that mm-hmm. vulnerability there you know there's a reason why we use kind of like you see our, our the cold wallet okay cold wallets again guys <laughs> right Right, you see, like you know, the most secure version of like you know, like um, cryptocurrency storage, right? It's also the most old school. You got to write down your like your seed phrase, you know, right? So I think that, that that's that part of it where if you're looking for something that is a real kind of like some measure of safety for in the doomsday scenario, right? You're looking at something that's also very archaic in terms of uh, its technology. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I thought you were gonna like smooth into a sponsor message. Huh? <laughs> no, I, I, I said. I, I was just trying to yeah, make yeah, the analogy, yeah. right, where like, you know, like I think in a doomsday scenario that could work out. But at the same time, if you really want to compare it to gold, right, like physical gold is something you can carry around. You can't mm, carry it Yes, and Russia and China continues to accumulate more physical gold. That's a different story for another day. But yeah, so that is uh, pretty much... Anybody, any anything you want to add, you know, other than being a cheerleader for, for Bitcoin? <laughs> I think that there's no lack of no lack of cheerleaders out there. I mean, all, all signs still point to to a pullback, lah. So I mean, I, I so it's I a dead cat bounce, you believe? At, at this point, it, well, it, it's gone on too long to be called that, I guess. But just like the the general macro outlook and and, and situation as it is, isn't looking too positive, mm. uh, you know, across the board and and cryptocurrencies included. La. I just want to say, after ten episodes, Timothy sounds more rational now. <laughs> So, I'm more, I'm more afraid. I don't know. But we learn, we learn as we go along. You know, but I I, I, I also find hard to take that position. I, I just find hard to predict where things will go. I mean, I'm not a trader, right? So, from a fundamental standpoint, I think the, the network is definitely continuously building. It's getting stronger, you know. But as to how token kind of pricing mechanics, that part, I'm still like, how are we going to price these things? You know, I, I have no real clue lah. Mm. 
How, how do you feel about gold, um, Reggie, as an investment? Consensus, law. There's a lot of consensus around it, right? So, and when I say that, people are like, yeah, because I also got a lot of consensus, which I don't disagree, right? So, so it's really a consensus trait at this point in time in terms of physical goal, right? Like, like it's historical. People like it. People, you know, um, have find find some interesting faith in it. <laughs> so, yeah, if pebbles were the consensus, my my goodness, HDB flats are amazing, right? So it's just so many pebbles on the on the ground. <laughs> but yeah, it's just goal is goal, lah. You know, but the the idea here is a lot of central banks are are accumulating gold right so so that is uh, yeah they, they drive the consensus or in that sense how do you feel like you know about bitcoin taking the place of gold in the portfolio yeah essentially essentially the idea here if central banks take bitcoin as their reserve right okay then all is mm. approved mm. yeah because the big money needs to come behind the consensus before it becomes a real reserve you know what i mean right so so to the day where a very big entity whether is it bank of england bank of japan or you know one of those like Bank of China which is unlikely at this point in time like one of the very big central bank come out and say we're going to take this as an official reserve uh, then you also will expect Bitcoin prices to fly yeah. I think when that happens you know yeah, that exactly, be, right. Yeah. So, but, but will that happen I really don't know because yeah, unlikely it will happen with the US lah, at least for, for me because it runs counter to their system right? it challenges their own core system which they're making a lot of money out of right? so um, yeah I'm not, not very sure about that but yeah, yeah that's, that's essentially driving consensus lah. but at this point in time everything is a pack dream lah until the consensus come together. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So that is uh, our very first story. Uh, on over to you, Mark. Next one. Actually, I'll take the second one. Okay. Well, yeah. Seems, uh, <laughs> yeah, I sense it. I sense it. Tim wants to talk about this. Yeah. The second story is an article that we carried last week about investors in Sparrow, options trading platform in, uh, for digital assets. They want their <laughs> money back. Basically, want their money back. In, uh, investors that put money in Sparrow in 2018 when they raised a total of $5 million, um, in an ICO project. They say the ICO that they were promised never materialized. And compounding the issue further is that after getting the MAS license, Sparrow uh, was acquired by oh, Amber shit. Group. Yes. Yes, Tamasic Back Amber Group uh, acquired this uh, options trading platform, Sparrow. Initial investors, the, 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 the ones who put in the 5 million, are being ignored on both sides. So basically what happened in 2018, you know, it, there, there, there was the, this was the time of the, the ICO boom, right? Sparrow raised money uh, via ICO, uh, promising tokens. These tokens were issued, but they were never listed. So they never floated on an exchange ever? No. Sparrow basically took the money to set up their exchange, which then uh, failed. These investors uh, alleged that Sparrow uh, basically took the money for, for business development. Lah. And then they, they also say that Sparrow copied QCP's uh, business model, which had some success. And then they sold the company to Amber, but never did anything for the token holders. Yeah, um, we, we, we were given a whole trove of documents, including the sale agreements, like recordings of the pitch Shit. meetings, of meetings with the founders oh, of Sparrow. <laughs> yeah, it's like a couple of hours of like audio recordings, like all the documents, WhatsApp chats, everything. Police report as well. Um, well, the guy that got in touch with us, I mean, everything's all, um, you know, on, on Blockhead in the article. His name is Sean. So his company, I think it's called NWD Holdings. Uh, they invested 180,000 US dollars in Ethereum. So at that time, price of Ethereum also different. Lah. But basically they put in $180,000 in the ICO. They were saying that uh, basically, you know, the guys at Sparrow promised them, you know, like, like cited like 88x returns 
and saying eighty eight x returns. Well, I mean, I mean, like that. That is like Huara um, Huara. <laughs> no, Hang on, no, 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 they they they, 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 give, they give a range, <laughs> la, guys. Come on, they give a range. They, I mean, like if I recall correctly, it was like you know, like between ten to hundred x or no, something. No, no, like no. That. They said that their other projects got ten to hundred x. I mean, because eighty eight x is a very very specific kind of like you know. I, but I, it's I, a lucky I, number. I that is yeah, freaking bro, ridiculous, it's, it's, guys. But not within the realm of crypto, it's not that ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to jab there. But yes. Fair enough. But <laughs> like, I, I guess one, one of the most damning things or like the, I would say damning, but like peculiar things about this thing for me was that like, mm. after you kind of like, you know, like, okay, you raised the money for an ICO, you got the tokens, right? 20 to 2021, you know, like that was like the DeFi summer, everything, all there was the ICO boom, like, you know, major bull run, right? Like basically you kind of like, you know, like throw a dart at the board or whatever, right? You're going to make some money. And you know, like the tokens should have been listed during this time and it was not. Yeah, that, that that's what they are, uh, unhappy yeah, about and, and so that to me is actually you know it, i mean it, is, it was clearly the right time to list at that point in time everybody would have made money at then at that point in my opinion la. i mean obviously i'm simplifying things a bit but like you know like i think that the optics of that they, they, they don't look good mm-hmm. i mean i mean everybody you mean who like the people that come and carry the bag maybe not so right mm, but but actually but I, but I, I, don't it, know, you know, I don't know i don't know during that during that oh. time it's like really like you know in the middle of covid like you know quantitative easing i mean sim- similar to the stock market right pretty much everything was in the green Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't, don't like that draw a comparison eh? yeah. <laughs> very, sens- very sensitive very sensitive but yeah. I know what you're saying <laughs> I know what you're saying yeah. now, just like similar now everything in the red right so much for no correlation mm. but anyway I mean you know, <laughs> oh my goodness there, there, there were so many dodgy or like rubbish companies and projects that, that ICO'd during this period but why we focus on this one is because you know Sparrow went on to get an MAS license and they got acquired by Amber Group just la- late last year well we, we can actually talk to Amber Group about this because we have uh, their MD coming over to the podcast next week so let's just see whether she want to answer a question on this but anyway no no, you know according to to, to Sean uh, and and documents he shared Amber says they have nothing to do with this they say that you deal with Sparrow this is not like when they acquired Sparrow they didn't acquire tokens either so um, they're saying you ask them and then uh, Sparrow says you know what Uh, you can ask Amber (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so even they, 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 they got nowhere else to go so they just went to make a police report lah. I mean I don't know how useful that's going to be but sounds like the hood you know the, the streaming service backed by Singtel same problem from my understanding, right, if it's like a kind of like a pre-IPO kind of sale situation, right, mm, and if the mm, IPO mm. doesn't go through, then the funds are returned, right? It really depends on... Okay, so I think there are a few things, right? First thing is, if you're not listed, then you're not governed by the code of conduct, right, essentially, right, within within the exchange, right, which is very extensive in that mm. sense, la, right? Because no exchange wants to, you know, uh, reduce its credibility, or at least in the stock market, la, because I've already gone through many rounds of merger and being established, right? So I think the crypto exchange, I don't have to say that. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's going to its own process of coming together but if it's if it's not listed that means uh, it's really most of the time governed within the the agreement right so all the agreements has been written down and all that and um, pretty much you have to go to litigation no? but do you know what the standard is like you know like the standard kind of I mean obviously that they are is there like kind of like you know like like a generally expected you know, because I'm, I'm wondering, you know, in this in these situations, right, if we compare the IPOs to ICOs, right, is there like usually, mm, yeah. you know, like a standard way that these things are kind of like governed? I mean, obviously there will be agreements that kind of deviate from the norm, but... Yes, yes. So um, I don't think there is a fixed way per se. You know, there are agreements essentially and, and there, are, there are market practices, 
right? So in, in that sense that it's just like how you will pay your property agent 1%, you know, for, for their sale. In the pre-IPO space, there's also these kind of uh, arrangements where if it, if it doesn't list, they will give you back and, and all those kind of things, right? But it's not, it's not like every single pre-IPO is the same. And very likely by the time they go for pre-IPO roadshow, right? They already gotten some sort of like, you know, more or less an agreement to go up already, right? Because underwriting takes them long, right? They got to go through all the accounting and everything. It takes them long for it to go up. So by the time they do pre-IPO roadshow, right, it's really at the last, last phase. Right? Rarely do companies pull out unless uh, the market condition suddenly turns horrible. Like menu or mm. I think or like the dot com bubble are like the kind yeah yeah so yeah, right? it became a shit show everybody pull out and then they take a break and then they return you the capital of course that's the idea uh, although it's the idea like I said it may or may not be depending on what what's within the agreement that's been written down because sometimes the delay can be a few years you know and uh, yeah it, yeah it, it's your opportunity cost lah in that sense. Yeah, I guess the, the reason for that, you know, that question also is because, you know, I'm thinking that I'm putting, my, I'm putting myself in the shoes of somebody who has never actually gotten involved in ICO before, right? Mm. Your closest reference point would be a pre-IPO, right? So it really comes down to, I guess, what was actually represented to these new investors because, you know, the closest reference point would be a an IPO situation. And in these cases, in most, most situations that I can recall, right, if the listing doesn't happen, I mean, like there is some amount of protection offered to like, you know, the investors. Mm, mm. So I think the bigger problem here when people compare IPO and ICO, right, is that a lot of the times the IPO that you get, right, they are from matured companies already, mm, right? Or the company enough. has mm. gone through very serious market fit, you know, they've gone through the growth cycle. Now they're going to the last phase, then they go out, they meet the public where it is, right? So there are some IPOs that are not like that, like especially in the pharmaceutical companies, right? When they go for an IPO, they really need the money. <laughs> they really need the money to research. It's a very different kind of IPO, right? But I think in ICO, ICO generally right, is a pipe dream lah, at first, right? There's some sort of a model, some sort of a build up, you know, but it's, it's a lot of, a, you know, it's still very, very, very early phase, you know, when, uh, at least from the ICOs that I was looking at like, when I first took a look, you know, at a few years ago, as compared to IPOs, lah, which is which is a very different different game. Yeah, You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I'm just kind of like, you know, speculating on what might have been represented to them. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. We, we, we had a look at the uh, investment agreement and, and there is a section with ADAX. You know, about, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what are? Okay, anyway, yes, let's continue. No, there is a section about, you know, risk of abandonment or lack of success. <laughs> risk of abandonment. Sounds so like adoption like that. You know, oh, I have a kitten then there's a risk of abandoning the kitten. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, so I don't know if the investors actually have a case. Mm, 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 mm. But but what, what they're unhappy about basically is that, you know, the tokens didn't even list. Uh, so they had no no chance at all to, to even get back a fraction of, 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 of what yeah. they put in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, these things they have to litigate, right? And when they litigate, it's really going to the nitty gritty of corporate law, right? Um, and I don't really have a lot of uh, background to to give that, which is I why mean, it's at, very at important. At the end of the day, it's just contract law, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, so it's so hard to litigate contract law. It's so hard, you know, it's like a lot of these contracts are written in a way that, you know, it, it's, it cover all the cuts and they hire the best people to write these things, right? So I, I don't know, I, I've, not, I've not heard many successful litigation against contract law. There are a lot of successful litigation against like company law, you know, which is like with private limited, you're under the company act and all those kind of things. There are successful litigation there and there are more, probably more successful litigation in like proving a fraud, you know, than, than trying to like- Oh, uh, pr- proving a fraud is actually very difficult. 
difficult as well. Yeah, it's very difficult, you it's know, but in, yeah. in terms of the, a lot of the high profile cases, right, I think it's, it's quite hard to get back because a lot of these corporate law kind of cases, right, they get dragged so long, so well, yeah, long. Yeah. I, I, I think yeah, it's just a yeah. question of how much firepower. I mean, it comes down yeah. to like, you know, how much money was actually left on the table and whether it's worth fighting for it. I mean, if, if yeah, like yeah, the exposure yeah. is like, you know, like say uh, 180 grand, right? I, I mean, it's tough, lah. you know, because yeah, your, yeah, your legal sure. fees alone could set you easily, like, you know, if it goes to trial, like three to 400,000. Exactly, exactly. Where, where is, where is in a, whereas in a fraud case is different because the state is is litigating against That's a right. fraud case. Right? Right. It's, it's a very different game. The, the state will litigate all the way to the end, you know, if they need to do it. And, and also, if I'm not wrong, Singapore doesn't allow class action lawsuits. So like, you yeah. know, like it's not, it's not like the US where like, you know, you can just mm, band mm, together, mm. like, you know, like a thousand, like, you know, disgruntled shareholders and then you go and screw the yeah. company. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. in, so, in Singapore, that is not allowed. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's time we explore some of these things, uh, you know, but, yeah. but that, that will bring us into a different podcast uh, parameter altogether. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. All the best to the Sparrow ICO guys. Uh, yeah. And if, if, if down the road you experience any of these things, you must let us know. Okay. Right. Please uh, drop us an email at Blockhead, right? Uh, where, where should they drop out if they have something? interesting to share. Uh, hello at blockhead.co. Hello at blockhead.co. You can talk to me. Hello at financialcoconut.com. The message, I guess, you know, here, you know, it was, it's in the public interest for us to, you know, also pursue a story like this. And it's a very simple thing that, you know, point we want to kind of just drive home, like, you know, with regard to ICO situations, obviously we're not in the same kind of like boom when we were in 2018, but you know, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, yeah. I mean, 88X returns, dude. I mean, like, it's just, it's... <laughs> Bro, it's, it's what one. It's a what number. <laughs> no, but, but you, you know, I mean, these guys are also seasoned investors, you know, they're like, oh yeah, this is not, I mean, this is what they do for a living. They make investments, but even they get caught out, you know, or like, you know, I, I guess, you know, when, when greed takes over, um, you know, they said it was their first like uh, crypto investment. They don't really know what they're getting into. Um, but, you know, you see like the potential for a quick flip. La. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, just put in your money and you get out in six months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not, nothing comes so easily, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's some basic logic in it. La, right. Unless you're the fairy godmother. OK, la, let's bring us to the third story. <laughs> oh, the, the third story is actually a really funny one. <laughs> Well, I mean, like, you know, someone has just spent like a million dollars, I think US, what? is it US? Yes. A million US, right, on NFTs, right, in this market. Uh, what? <laughs> and it's a Singaporean guy, Singaporean person, <laughs> right? Okay. Wait, get Singapore this. Just, make this, too much wait, money, nothing is, to do, right? This is not a kicker, man. So he did okay, this okay. to impress a Tinder match. Wait. So basically, uh, the screenshots of the Tinder conversation were actually forwarded to us. And then, and then like, I'm just going to kind of read like, you know, a couple of like lines of this. It's not just one Tinder match. Huh? It's like, it's Multiple, like all but this is just, yeah. okay. Yo, I just spent a million dollars on NFTs. Right. And then like, you know, like, um, I think the match was like, question mark, huh? What do you mean? Oh, it's a uh, non-fungible tokens. It's proof of ownership. Like how I will own you eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a roadmap or utility? <laughs> and then she just says, simple talk, impress me more. And that's it. <laughs> are we, wait guys, wait, when, when we bring up this story, are we trying to show a use case? It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point. Are we trying to show a okay, use case? Well, look, or, look, oh. the, the, the NFT uh, collection in, in, in question I here is, you know, like, I cannot. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's like please, the, like the D-God, God's NFT, <laughs> la, okay? So it's, it's actually one mm-hmm. of the most popular uh, uh, projects around, right? But I mean, it's, it's still... <laughs> 
It's, it's still hilarious like, that we are, you know, first of all, like, you know, like someone is actually spending that amount of money in this kind of climate. I think it, 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 like how it came about was like, okay, so they are, they are Solana NFT project, one of the biggest, and then they are moving over to Ethereum. So this guy on Twitter posted something like 1,000 likes and I'll sweep the floor. Uh, basically buy up all, all the available uh, NFTs. Oh, of, I thought he really going to sweep the floor. <laughs> Please continue. I, I'm learning, I'm learning. Okay, give me some slack on this, yes. <laughs> Crypto language. I mean, j- just for more context, right, this, the D-Gods, uh, the NFT project in question, right, uh, you know, it, it scored over like the US $135 million worth of trading volume, right? So, wow. mm. yeah. So yeah, he got a thousand likes and he made good on his promise to buy 69 D-Gods, uh, which cost him uh, US uh, $1 million. And uh, well, I think nine hundred thousand. Uh, so he bought he 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 bought the NFTs, and then um, well, I guess he needed to start making use of them and, and flex it, <laughs> flexing it on various platforms. Uh. So yeah, I mean that's all he's talking about on Twitter. And uh, mm-hmm. um, actually, the screenshots weren't shared with us, Mark. They he posted all the screenshots himself yeah. on his blog. So shit, you know, not shy one. <laughs> Guys, quite funny. Sorry. Yeah, it took, it took hey, we should get him into studio. We should hey, get him into studio. I have sixty nine D gods. We'll give you five. If you reply, <laughs> your loss. <laughs> hey, can we get him into studio? Can right. you cast I have the person? 69 D gods. I can send you proof of God. Question mark, huh? What are you talking about? You don't know D gods? I don't know. You are not worthy. <laughs> I mean, like, this thing is just like. I mean, Thanks it's for clear making that, my Chinese New Year, guys. No, I, I, I think it's quite clear that, you know, like, I mean, this is probably like, you know, like a, he, he's taking this, you know, in, in, in good humor, like, you know, but I mean, still a lot of money to of spend on the joke. Yeah. Of course, of course. And we, we yeah. must really get this guy in. I really want to talk to him. Can um, we yeah, get this guy we, in? We, we are tra- we're also trying to talk to him too. It's also interesting to have a conversation about, you know, investing in NFTs in this market. Um, You know, I mean, a million dollars is not something you can just, th- you know, toss at, 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 at something like, you know, without... Except without a lot of millionaires, eh, just saying. <laughs> I mean, apparently he's, long, uh, apparently he's a big name in, in, in the NFT space over here. Like, like people know of him and like... What's his uh, name? I mean, on Twitter, he he's, he goes by the name Pokey. P-O-K-E-E-E. <laughs> uh, I, th- I think it's just like poke. poke. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And and we, we we did have a look at his uh you know OpenSea wallet and he has like three bought apes and you know various mm. other random things lah. So bro, bought apes are not very random things, you know. I mean, although the prices came down already, but you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, bought apes and random things, yeah. Oh, so, bought apes and okay, and yeah, random yeah, yeah. things, okay, okay. <laughs> so oh, interesting, I, yeah. I, I mean, it's still it's still an interesting conversation to have with you know someone who spends a lot of monies uh, money on NFTs uh, you know in this climate uh, yeah yeah hey we must game on legit let's okay, game okay, on yeah, yeah. let's game on yes oh my goodness but, you, but you, just, you guys just saying, speculate what it looks like okay no, mind, no, I, 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 I don't know we don't go there we get cancelled before you come on tell you right, yeah, I'm no, thinking but, like uh, maybe he wears like a sling bag like a branded branded one you know the kind with a pouch <laughs> I'm not I'm not going there with <laughs> <Okay>. you but. <laughs> <laughs> but I know what brand went through my head. But anyway, I think the idea here is like, I don't think we are shilling anything, but, the, but it's just like, is this a use case? Right. It's, uh, it's just people, you know, flexing like, pretty much, pretty much actually quite aligned with the whole idea of a collector thing, right? Like you have all these random collectors that they just collect and they, they form the base of any collection, right? And when they form the base of any collection, then they essentially, they are the baseline to the price, right? So yeah, doesn't mean it's all about utility. Doesn't mean it's all about, you know, uh, function because sometimes, you know, although, although, 
I'm very big on utility. Sometimes I feel like, yeah, must tarry a bit. Uh, it's, it's not all about utility. As much as utility maybe provide the long-term value, sometimes, uh, sometimes a lot of people want that shit, right? It's just going to work. Uh, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, like yeah. A, a big thing is, is, is community, right? Like one of the biggest projects last year was, was Goblin Town, was, which was a free mint uh, with no utility and no roadmap, no nothing. But, you know, the floor price of these NFTs, will, they, they reach like $13,000 at one point. And, you know, it, the, the Goblin holders, um, you know, are, are super tight. They're going strong and they got their own culture and, and, and thing going on. Um, it's, I mean, I'm not a fan of NFTs at all, but, you know, this, this one is definitely interesting just because of, you know, uh, what, what they represent and, and yeah, what, what they're not doing basically. So, yeah. you know, the question then becomes like, you know, if the D gods community are made up of people like this guy, would you want to be a part of that? Why not? Why not? If they let me in, if the gods allow me, I shall bow. Oh, you, you, you'll, you'll be let in just by buying one of these NFTs. It's crazy. Right? Why? Why? That's the problem. But yes, okay, yes, you know yes. what? But serious, serious answer to your question about like utility right here. Is this a use case, right? I think that like, you know, it's just a, a question of target audience. If he had matched with like somebody who was into the space, I mean, who wouldn't want 5D gods for free? Mm. Right? I, I would take that shit. And go on a date with him if I was into that space uh, but you know like if, if I was into the gods to begin with so maybe it's just a question of like really trying to keep this going until we find someone who is aligned with his interests and then there you have that use case yeah or, or gather enough followers such that you can monetize hey yeah. so one, one could say that you know it wasn't uh, anything to do with the strategy I think he just need to kind of like you know maybe ask more people on, on Tinder and see what happens I, I don't think we I don't think we went on a 10 minute spiel to talk about his Tinder strategy bro yeah sorry segue segue <laughs> No, but this is, this is relevant yeah. to your, your question on use case. Is this a use case? It is, it is, it is. It yeah. definitely, it, and it's, it's intriguing. Sometimes a lot of creators, when we create something, right, we don't even know how the people will end up using it, right? And then you learn as you iterate and, and we go along, right? So it's, it's so amazing, so interesting. Nice. Um. Yeah. Any any last things anyone want to add for today's episode? I think thematically it's quite interesting to see that you know even if it's like a, a, bit, a bit of a crazy situation, people are still kind of like you know putting money into the space. I mean, this is the very very isolated example. I mean, like you see the price of Bitcoin going up as well. To me, there's still a lot of dry powder on the sidelines. I think. Um. And yeah, I'm not saying that I am you know fully optimistic about the scenario here, but like you know I th- I think that that is interesting to see people spending a million dollars on NFT. You know, like Singaporean dudes. Uh, yeah. I love it. I love it. Right? I, love, I love how after 10 episodes of doing this with me, right? You guys are a little bit more level-headed. <laughs> I mean, yeah, definitely yeah. don't go and spend like your life savings on NFT projects, like, you know, but this is actually interesting if you have, yeah. It might inspire great, some great, people, great. I guess. Inspire some what? Inspire, yeah. might inspire some people to do things. I don't know. <laughs> no, bro, we need to have our own NFT project, the Block Coco or something. I don't know. <laughs> the Square Coconut. Okay, let's, 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 let's talk about this offline. <laughs> See what's to buy. <laughs> okay, guys. Yeah, that's it. Um, Pardon my nasally voice. We'll see you all of you next week. Take care. All right. Bye. All right, bye. Uh- <laughs> bye. Hey Coconuts, so yes, uh, I hope you enjoy this new show that we're building together with the team at Blockhead and uh, the goal is very clear, right? We're not here to shield any token or be a cheerleader for any project but we feel that there's a lot of development that's going on in this space that we could cover and continue to be a little bit smarter 
um, as investors, I mean, eventually you tune in every week to a financial podcast network so that you can be smarter with your investments. And if it so happened, this is something that you're looking at, the crypto space, Web3, Metaverse, all these kind of stuff, then that is where we're trying to cover, but not from the angle of like, this is good, that is bad, but really trying to see it from like, what is happening? How is it developing? And I hope you find this useful and interesting. Right? So if you want to continue to get more coverage around the crypto space, check out blockhead.co. And then we will see you next week.